go to Psalm 133. Psalm 133, if you don't have one with you, there should be a black hardback underneath the seat around you. You're more than welcome, if you'd like to, to grab one of those. Flip open with us. I believe that'll put us on page 519 in your ESV hardback. Psalm 133. I want to say thank you to all who came yesterday for our work day. So the church looks a lot nicer outside, a little bit cleaner. My office window got cleaned, and so I, got, I can see outside my office now. It's nice. Uh, I would have been here, but uh, I have what, uh, a rare condition that doctors called um, an allergy to work. And, uh, no, and for real though, I was I was doing a 5K and we were running over childhood cancer, and so um, I would probably have rather been here than uh, than running. It's not my thing, uh, but we were there and we did it. Um, this morning we will be continuing in our series called Life at FC Cube, First Calling Christian Church, and the point of the series is just to kind of explore who we are. Um, what we are kind of known for and want to be known for, and then where we want to go in the future. It is based on a couple of questions. Um, basically, one, what is distinct about First Colony Christian Church? What is distinct about FCQ? What makes us different than other churches? And so we've been exploring different ways that perhaps uh, that's the case. And so last week we talked about engaging our minds, and, and we want to be a place here at the church where we engage our minds at a deep level that perhaps is not always common in um, the churches around us and the churches in our kind of religious environment. So we want to be okay um, and not afraid to ask questions and to have doubts and to um, even have the humility to maybe say we've made mistakes in the past and maybe there's a better way to read the scriptures when it comes to this issue or this topic and that kind of thing. This morning we want to talk about um, community. And so one of the things we want to be known for here at the church and one of the things we want to focus on and major on is, is this kind of close-knit community. We'll call it living life together. Uh, we want to be a group of people who live life together. There's immediate problems with a goal to have a close-knit community. One is the culture we live in is one that is not conducive to being and living in community. We live in a very kind of hyper-individualized culture. Um, where we are all by ourselves and we can handle everything by ourselves and we don't want to seem vulnerable or needy to other people. We also live in a culture where we are highly mobile. And so for lots of different reasons, jobs, family members, all kinds of things, we find ourselves moving a lot and traveling a lot in ways that in the past weren't options for human beings. And so it's hard to have this sense of community with a group of people or have this kind of attachment to a place if you're constantly moving, right? And, and there are all these difficulties that come up when we try to think about and engage and pursue having a deep community. I think this has also infected the church, um, the way we think about church, the way we think about other believers. I've used this example before. I think it's a big mistake, but one that's commonly made to think that church people are just the mutual friends of Jesus that we have on Facebook in the sense that there's no real connection between you and I, except that we both happen to know the same person, right? Um, there's no real intimate community that you and I have. I think this is the logic behind a lot of like church shopping, right? Um, there, I have no actual connection to these people and this place and the things that we've gone through. I can go to a variety of different churches 
who all have this connection to Jesus, and I'll find other strangers there, right, who have this same connection. But at FCQ, we've always wanted to be very intentional about building a community, and the reason is because Scripture is going to be absolutely, vitally clear that the Christian life, in all of its fullness and depth and richness, is impossible without a deep, true, abiding sense of community where you are known by other people and you know other people, where you live life together. And so to show you this this morning, I want to look at Psalm 133. Uh, one of my favorite psalms of all times, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, one of my favorite passages to preach from. Um, psalm 133, uh, when I was learning Hebrew as an undergrad in college, this was the first real chunk of Hebrew that we translated. And it's always had a special kind of place in my heart because of that. And so Psalm 133, I want to kind of share with you. Hopefully um, you will love it as much as I do. And I think we can see in Psalm 133 this very powerful command and call for you and I to be in community. So we'll read together. Psalm 133, we'll pick it up in verse 1. The psalmist, David, says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Seems like just a couple of short phrases, a couple of weird similes. I think, though, that if we really dive into this text, we'll find that there is an almost unlimited amount of meaning and depth and richness in just this short little song. It is the song. All the psalms are songs. The Psalter, the Book of Psalms, is God's iPod playlist, okay? And so most of these do have music set to them. And in fact, there is a psalm for Psalm 133. And so what I wanted to do this morning, I'm not sure I'm charismatic enough to get everyone in on this, but we're going to try it. I will tell you this, first period did a great job, okay? And they, first, not first period, I'm still in school mode, all right? Where first period is the guinea pig period, right? And you're like, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? First service did a great job, and they weren't always... They weren't too confident that you would be able to, to, to match their intensity <laughs> and to match their enthusiasm. So I told them I would report back to them next Sunday how we did here. Um, so we have, I think we will have on the screen behind me, here's the Hebrew of Psalm 133.1 here at the top. And then this is a transliteration. So what it would look like in English if you tried to, to make the sounds out in English. And it's a very popular song. Still today, Jewish people will sing it uh, on the Sabbath or at special occasions. And so I'm going to give you, I'm not a singer, okay? There's a reason I don't get to touch that mic, um, but I'm going to give you a quick kind of tune. This is kind of how it goes, and then Sam Smith, actually, who is a singer, is going to get up and help us all sing it kind of together, okay? So here's how it goes. Here's how you're just going to pronounce it. It goes, Hanei matav umanayim shavit achim gam yahad. And the tune goes something like this. Hanei matav umanayim. Shavit alham gam yahad. You got it? Yeah. We got this. All right, Sam. Lead us. Let's go. So, who's Sam or Sam? Everyone's Sam. Let's sing. Let's do a little fun. Psalm 133, verse 1. You never grow inside your comfort zone. Okay, ready? One, two, three. One more time. <laughs> 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 wait, wait, wait. We gotta start 
verse 1, how good, how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's a text about community. It's a text about brothers who are living together, living life together, and then about how much blessing God pours out into their life because of the life that they live together. This psalm is a part of a group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent, and so they would have been sung by Jewish people on their yearly pilgrimage to the temple. Um, and so it's an ascent because you're going up a hill. The temple's on the top of a mountain, and so you're singing this song. It's a celebratory song. Um, you could probably translate, actually, this word, dwell in unity, as party. would be an acceptable, I think, translation from the Hebrew. Um, this is a celebration. How good, how pleasant it is when you and I can get together and enjoy life together. When we know each other and are known by each other. When we can forgive each other and be forgiven by each other. How good and how pleasant it is. I think four things we can learn from this psalm, okay? The first one is this. One, God's people are called to live in true community. We could say it like this. Born-again Christians aren't orphans. When you become a Christian, when you place your faith in Christ, you are instantly made a part of a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's transtemporal, so it goes throughout time. It's, all, it's multinational. Okay? It goes throughout races and languages and ethnicities. It's local as well. You and I are part of a family. And God's design all along was for Christians to be those people who live in true community. Now at FC Cubed, um, we're able to do this uh, kind of by accident and necessity in a sense. I like to think of ourselves as the cheers of churches, right? Everyone knows your name, okay? Uh, it's impossible, I think, to come to FC Cubed for more than a few weeks without most people knowing your name. Um, if people have come for four or five weeks and you don't know their name, you're doing something wrong probably, right? You're going out of your way not to meet these people. Um, that's something, again, that, that a lot of churches, right, a lot of church cultures, um, that's one of the things that's attractive about that. You can go in and never have anybody talk to you, have anybody know you, have anyone meet your name, that sort of thing. But one of the distinctives, one of the things that's offered here at Cube is the fact that you won't go unnoticed. When you're not here, you're missed. When you are here, you're celebrated. We all know each other. Even then, though, I think there's a danger because I don't think true community, true dwelling together in unity, the Song 133 community, I don't think it's just a Sunday morning thing. I don't think you encapsulate it just by shaking people's hands during the welcome and the meet and the greet neighbor. I think true community, uh, a true spiritual, capital S, Holy Spirit-filled community has four marks, four traits. Um, the first one is time. It takes time for any community or any relationship to be built. And again, I think this is time that goes beyond Sunday morning. I don't think you have a true community with people who you just see once a week. Um, the second one is friendship, time, friendship. Obviously, you have to have some kind of shared interest together. You have to enjoy each other's companies. You might be surprised, though, how many diverse people can still have friendship, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe with people with different political views, or maybe a vegan and a vegetarian, or... You know, I mean, of all kinds of different things who, who, who might not have 100% shared interest who, but can still find friendship. 
The third one, time, friendship, the third mark, I think, of a spiritual community, and this is, I think, the most important, is Jesus talk. So it's a group of friends who don't just spend time together and don't just have fun together, but have some kind of spiritual aspect to their relationship, where they pray together, where they talk about scripture together, where they ask each other how they're doing, how they're not doing. I think without that, you might have some form of community, but it's not a, a spiritual form of community. And then the fourth one is honesty. Um, just again, like with any relationship, if you don't have honesty, true community, true relationship is going to be hard to come by. And I think all four of these are very necessary to have this Psalm 133 community, which we're about to see God is going to make intense promises about. He's going to say, if you have this type of community, you are in for blessings beyond what you can imagine. But just a Sunday morning type of community, I don't think always gets you here. You gotta have time, there has to be friendship, there has to be Jesus talk, and there has to be honesty. And this important this community is so important. Let's keep reading and the psalmist will keep describing you, okay? What what is it like when these brothers dwell in unity? The first thing he says, Hene, behold, how good, Matov, how good. Umanaim, and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He says it's good and it's pleasant. This word tov, okay, behold how good it is, how tov it is. This reminds biblical readers of Genesis 1, when God creates. And do you remember after he creates everything, he steps back and says, it is good, tov. And then again he creates and steps back and says it's tov, and he does this six times leading up to the seventh time where he creates man and, and then he steps back and says this is tov mayo this is very good this word tov good or beautiful or peaceful evokes this this sense of creation without sin without all the nastiness that we've brought into it and god says when we need brothers actually living in deep community there's this sense of peace that's restored, this sense of joy that's restored. There's almost this, this pre-fall life that can be experienced in part. Naim, this, this word, it's pleasant. This has the, the connotation of really just something that's enjoyable. It's fun. It's enjoyable. You like it. I think of, for me, something that's pleasant, right? When my, I'm thinking of an analogy, an illustration. I think a medium rare steak. Anything more than medium rare, okay, you're just cooking the flavor out of it. You need to be slapped, all right? <laughs> medium rare steak, and then maybe like a nice glass of wine. And I mean, like, even just thinking about it right now, my heartbeat's slowing down. <laughs> Feeling a little bit better about the world. <laughs> it's just pleasant. Now, of course, like a non-alcoholic wine, okay, so grape juice or something like <laughs> that. He says it's pleasant, it's enjoyable when you have a community. All the problems that we have in the world because of sin are helped and taken care of when you have a community around you that knows you and can support you. Galatians 2, uh, Galatians 6 2 tells Christians that they need to bear each other's burdens. And, and in so doing that, they're fulfilling the law of Christ, just as He for our burdens, our ultimate burden on the cross, paying the price for our sin, purchasing our salvation. So you and I are supposed to bear each other's burdens. What that means is in a community, one person's problem is every person's problem. When one person experiences the, the pain and the darkness of a sinful world, 
having a community around them helps alleviate that, takes some of the weight of that from them. It's good. It's pleasant. When brothers dwell together in unity, it's, it's a way of coping. It's a way of, of growing. Your problems are my problems. Your joys are my joys. I think this is something that you and I at FC Cube are actually very, very good at. I cannot count the times when there has been a problem among our community, whether it's financial or more emotional or spiritual or family, and church has, the church community has just dropped everything they've had to done, had to do, and, and went above and beyond in supply. I mean, I literally can think of dozens and dozens and dozens. If you want, in my office, I have thank you notes from people over and over and over again. Three years ago, they're no longer with us as family. They had a death in the family, very unexpected, and they were volunteered to host the, not the funeral, but kind of the visiting rites, I guess, at their home had no ability to do this, and they themselves, right, were in the process of grieving. On a Thursday evening, I sent out an email to the church saying, this is what's going on, I wonder what we can do. Before I had even heard anything back, there was a whole plan set up, there was a committee, there were people coming over every three hours to their house, and I've got this letter that goes on and on and on about it. We've never felt supported so much in our life with the idea that when we had a problem, everybody thought it was their problem. Financially, I can tell you stories. People can't pay for something. Something goes wrong. Someone gets laid off, and the church just helps you out. And I think, again, this is how Christian life was supposed to be meant. I don't think Christians were supposed to be lone rangers. In fact, I think this is really one of the reasons we have a hard time obeying commands in scriptures. It's just we think they're meant to be obeyed by ourselves without other people. So, for instance, scriptures are very clear that you and I are supposed to be very generous people. That we're not supposed to stockpile money and have lots of treasure stored, laid, laid up. We're supposed to be very generous toward poverty. We're supposed to be very generous toward other people. And we have a hard time obeying this command. I have a hard time obeying this command because I have this human need to feel safe, to feel secure. I know real recently, right, it, it doesn't take much to all of a sudden have a medical bill that I can't afford. It puts me in debt. Not because of bad planning. Not because I'm not working hard enough. So I, it's hard for me to be generous. It's hard for me to not want to stockpile. It's hard for me not want to have a big, nice bank account for worst case scenarios. But if you think of these commands in the context of community, it starts to become maybe a little bit more possible. What if I am able to give more generously of my money because I'm not afraid of the worst case scenario? Because if it comes, I know that I have a community that will take care of me. If it comes, I know, just like I've seen dozens of times, that I can come and say, I've got a problem and I can't, I can't deal with it right now. Is there anyone here who can help me? And I have this feeling that there would be dozens and dozens and dozens of people who would say, your problem's my problem, and I would help you. All of a sudden, some of these commands that seem much more difficult and much more hard to, to follow, make a little bit more sense. You almost get a little bit more safety and security involved. One of the problems, I think, with churches in America is that we pretend that we have everything together because we don't want help from other people. Um, for instance, we uh, have a hard time being honest. Remember, honesty, I think, is one of the important parts of this community. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be a, a bother for other people, right? 
I have this American young man pride sense in me, right? Where I don't want to ask for money. I don't want to ask for help, right? I want to be able to do this all on my own. Um, but, but that limits me from being freed up to obey <coughs> completely and truly and honestly. I want to read you a quote by a man named Richard Beck. Brilliant author. It's a little bit long. I don't usually try to read these long quotes, but I didn't want to mess his words up. Um, so, so here we go. He says this. The perversity in the American church is that we do look like the church in Acts 4, where they all put their possessions together and no one was in need. He says, there aren't any needy people among us. We all appear to be doing just fine, but we know that it's a sham, a collective delusion driven by the fear of being in need. I'm not fine, and neither are you, but you're afraid of me, and I'm afraid of you. We're neurotic about being vulnerable with other people. We fear exposing our need and failure to others. And because of this fear, the fear of being needy within a community of neediness, the witness of the church is compromised. And then clue in on this next sentence right here. A collection of self-sustaining and self-reliant people, people who are all pretending to be fine, is not the kingdom of God. A group of people who appear like they can take care of life themselves without need of other people or need of God is not the kingdom of God. Specifically, he says, a church where everyone is fine is a group of human beings refusing to be human beings and pretending to be gods. Since a church, quote unquote, is comprised of fearful people working hard to keep up appearances and unable to trust each other to the point of loving self-sacrifice, in such a church, each member is expected to be self-sufficient and self-sustaining, making no demands among other people. Unfortunately, where there's no need and vulnerability, there can be no love. We've got to get out of this, this illusion, this lie that we have to be self-sufficient people. We're not self-sufficient. You and I are dependent on God. We say this, we acknowledge this every week when we worship, and you and I are also dependent on each other. And we've got to be vulnerable with each other, and we've got to be able to meet other people's needs when it comes our way, and we're able to. It's a good and pleasant thing for brothers to live in community. It helps them do what they're supposed to do. I don't think the Christian life can be lived um, without community. So, number one, community is God's design for Christians. Number two, community is good and pleasant. Number three, um, community mediates God's presence and God's new life. So the psalmist gives us two similes, okay? He's a poet, so he's got a toolbox of, of poetic metaphors, okay, that he's going to use. He brings out two similes. He says, here's what the community is like. It's like this, and then it's like this. And he gives us these word pictures to compare them to. Um, the first word picture, he says, it's like this good, pleasant community. It's like precious oil on the head running down onto the beard, onto the beard of Aaron, and then it keeps running down all over the collar of his robes. It's this kind of almost comical image of a person taking like a shower in oil. They're just drenched to the max in oil. This comes from an Old Testament background where you would anoint somebody with oil as a symbol of God's blessing on their life, of God's presence in their life. So Moses in Leviticus 8 anoints Aaron. And usually anointing with oil is very expensive, oil is very rare, and so you would use a minimal amount, one drop, two drops. If there was any running involved, it was like kind of coming down on your forehead a little bit, right? The psalmist, though, is using extravagant language. He says, hey, do you remember how, how Aaron got those two drops on his forehead? 
When people live in community, it's like they're taking a shower in this anointed oil. They're drenched in it. God's presence, his blessing, his anointing on their life is so beyond what you could imagine. It's like the oil running down, running down, running down. And the second simile, he says, it's also like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Hermon is the largest mountain in Israel, known for having these heavy snows and having a whole bunch of dew that then falls down off the mountain and feeds a whole bunch of things below it. Feeds springs, feeds rivers, contributes to the plant life, uh, is useful for planting vineyards, all those kind of things. If the dew of Hermon was not in great supply one year, a lot of things are going to die because of that. Hermon surprise um, provides life. So this simile, it's like the dew of Hermon. Again, he's, he's saying this is like something that will create new things in your life, will give you new opportunities, will create new experiences, new abilities to live in your life. Community is where you'll find God acting present and powerfully. Community is where you'll find your life being made new. We've talked about this before, and I mention it often. You know, read the Bible like a Texan. When the Bible says, God, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you is a plural. It's talking to a a, a local community. You all, y'all, are the body of Christ. This is where the oil pours down. When human beings spend time together and have friendships together and have Jesus talk together and are honest together. This is where life happens. We talked about this last week with the scriptures and with engaging our minds. The goal of learning about the scriptures and the goal of engaging our minds is not just to be smart, to have a big bucket of ideas and theories that we own. The goal is transformation. The goal is to be a new person. The goal is to be closer to Christ. The goal is to be more faithful in your mission in the world around you. If at the end of the day, all you have after studying the Bible is just a lot of information, I'm not sure you've gained that much. It's the same with community. Community, in a sense, is not an end in and of itself, but community is one of the ways where you and I are transformed into new people, where we learn how to um, follow Christ more faithfully and more effectively. I think, again, our calling to be Christ-like and to grow in Christ-likeness is not something that's... It's not something that is meant to, nor is it effectively done by ourselves. I'm able to very much deceive myself. And other people often I need to say, maybe that's not true. Think about that again. I'm also often prone to quitting (laughs) when I set a goal, right? I mean, this is, I'm running a 5K yesterday. Let's be honest, the only reason I finished is there are little kids running this 5K, (laughs) which I think is not fair and should not be allowed. They need their own little thing to do, right? This is not, we're on the same level here, but you've got like these three-year-olds just spurning the whole thing. If it was me, I can, I've done it. You can look at my Nike run history, okay? 0.5 0.5 miles, I'm done. This is over. <laughs> no one's watching me, no one's in front of me or behind me. All right, good. <laughs> it's over, right? All of a sudden, you've got community around you, though. You've got some accountability, and, and maybe you're able to be a little bit more disciplined and move a little bit further. We have a uh, recommended li- uh, reading out here in the hallway for all the series that we'll do, um, starting with this series. I'll always um, put out a few books that maybe our series have come from, and in ways that you might want to invest more if you wanted to read. One of them is called Crashing the Way of Jesus. And the book is simply a collection of stories about a community that would get together and make these experiments in obedience. 
And so they would come together and say, okay, we know Jesus has lots of things to say about money and consumerism and not having lots of stuff. So what could be something we could do for like four weeks to just try out, to try to be more obedient to that? And so they came up with some really big ideas and some really small ideas. One of their ideas was let's wear the same two outfits for a month and see what that makes us, see how we think now after that about clothing and about what we need to buy, what we need to impress other people by wearing, that kind of stuff. Um, some of them were smaller. They, they, saw, they saw the command, love your neighbor, right? And they were going, you know, well, how can we love our neighbor? And they said they kept coming up with like really cheesy ideas, like a random act of kindness a week and stuff like that. And they're like, what if we did this? For one week, every person you looked at, you intentionally tried to see with the eyes of God and see how much God loved them and see them as someone Jesus considered worth dying for. And they did that for a week and got together and said, wow, that was powerful. Wow, I think about so many different things in so many different ways. I acted toward people in such different ways just trying to do that, right? I think in communities where we best apply scripture is where we best try to figure out what it means to follow Christ faithfully. I don't think as a pastor or as a public speaker, I'm in the position to lay down hard and fast rules for the Christian life. This might be just a generational thing. I think this is become this becomes legalism really quickly, right? Um, so like the don't drink alcohol. I think there are some people who should not drink alcohol. But I do not think that's a biblical command. And I think in the Bible, if you wanted to make an argument in the Bible, it would be that you should drink alcohol. I mean, there's so many positive statements. God gave wine to make the heart of man happy. Communion itself involves wine, right? I mean, there's there's stuff like that but there's nothing negative right now there's stuff against drunkenness and that kind of stuff but again i can understand from an alcoholic background struggle with alcoholism i understand a hard and fast rule do not drink alcohol but i would never get on a stage and say you are not a christian if you drink alcohol right because i think the command to not be drunken has to be applied differently in different situations it involves you really knowing yourself and other people really knowing you or, or saying rated R movies are a sin except for the passion of the Christ. <laughs> rated R movies are a sin. Do I think, hypothetically, there could be a rated R movie that would be unwise for a Christian to watch and might be labeled, might put the word sin on that? Sure. But I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I can't make that universal judgment for everybody that's something that I think happens in community that's something I think happens when you're honest to other people and you go well what's the movie you know what about it is rated R you know those kind of things um, community these intense groups of people where we are known and know each other I think is where transformation best takes place it's where the dude Herman comes down is where life is created Dallas Willard used to say that if you want to experience the kingdom of God Get a group of people together and simply try to do the things Jesus told you to do. Same kind of idea. Experiment. Have fun with it. Be silly with it. What can we do for three weeks to try to make this more of a practice in our lives? Um, there's all kinds of different ways. The book, if you're interested, is just a, I mean, it's a, just a bunch of examples. He just lists off like 60 different experiments they've done. Some of them were awful. Some of them didn't work. Some of them changed their lives forever, right? Um, the fourth thing, okay, fourth thing from the psalm. Number one, true community is part of God's plan. They're called 
uh, as God's people were called to live in it. Number two, true community is good and pleasant. Three, this is where we find God's presence and transformative power. And number four, true community is part of God's eternal plan. True community is part of God's eternal plan. Look at this last verse here in Psalm 133. It's the last line, actually. It's t- it says, it's like the oil, it's like the dew. And then he says, for there the Lord, or Yahweh, has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Grammatically, you've got two options with this word there. Is it referring to the mountain of Hermon, or the dew of Hermon, or the mountain of Zion? Or is the there referring to brothers dwelling in unity? So this deep sense of community. I think it's the second. I think this verse is communicating that God from eternity past has decided that in a community of brothers and sisters living life together, that is where they'll find his blessing. That is where life forevermore, eternal life, is to be found. You'll notice in the psalm, um, in the psalm, Psalm 133, um, it's a psalm of ascent. So they're going up, and they're going up to the temple, right? They're going up to where God dwells to worship him. But if you watch, all the language in the psalm is directionally going down. Um, so the dew is running down, 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 down over the beard. The dew of Hermon is falling down on the mountain. There's this interesting directional push here, right? As they're walking up towards God, and God's blessings are coming down toward them. Community, I, I think, is perhaps the place where heaven and earth were meant to meet. Community, I think, is perhaps the place where the kingdom of God is made present. Jesus says God's kingdom is his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus himself says, when two or three are gathered, that's when I'm there. Jesus, when he sends disciples out, sends them out in pairs of two, never by themselves. We remember as Christians that God himself is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God himself is community. His blessing, his eternal life is found in community as the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Spirit loves the Father and loves the Son. And we know as well that a holistic way of looking at salvation is that you and I get invited into that community to participate in the love that the Father has for the Son through the Spirit. And then we know again further that it's not just as individuals that we're invited to participate in the triune love. It's as a community. You and I, brothers and sisters, we're adopted into the family. We're together brought into the community of the triune God. I think this is God's eternal plan is for community, for love, reciprocal love, for self-service, sacrificial service to other people. This is where blessing is found. This is where life is found. So some questions as we end today. Are you in a true community? Are you in a community where you would consider yourself with some various group of people to have time and to have friendship and to have Jesus talk going on and to have honesty? If you're not, why not? Would you like to be in one? We've got opportunities at FCQ. We've got an announcement card here today full of a thousand things coming up, okay, of of places where we're just trying to create opportunities to get people to rub shoulders together, right? I don't think you can create community. We can't divide the church up and just pick six people and say, you're going to be in a community. I think it has to be a lot more organic than that. Um, and so our job is just to try to create as many opportunities as possible. This Thursday night, we'll be having a Bible study at the Tea House. Okay, at 7, I'll be leading on Philippians. We've got all kinds of things. We've got ladies groups that meet. We've got men's night out. We've got retreats coming up. 
We have Peeling Back the Layers, which is the latest I've been doing for a while, which has been a phenomenal success. Um, maybe the best program that's been created at FCQ since I've been here, where women are coming and sharing and confessing and being vulnerable and experiencing growth and healing and love. Um, and then I also would want to say to you to just remember that I have a very much, um, I very much have a yes policy, which is if, if you were to come to me and say, hey, Pastor Mike, have you ever thought about doing this? We're trying to create a community doing it, doing this. My answer is almost always, yeah, let's do it, right? Now, warning, you're going to be doing it, right? <laughs> Sounds like you just volunteered yourself for an excellent idea. But we're up for anything, right? I mean, I've tried things and they failed. I mean, it's an experiment, right? How do we best create community? Um, why not start one? If you wanted to start a community, if you want to invite people into a community, I'll give you two good steps. Start eating with people. You eat three times a day. Have lunch with somebody. Have dinner with somebody. Try to recover the practice of hospitality, which we've kind of lost in our culture, where you are inviting people into your house, inviting people into your family. I think these are ways that community can be started. And so this morning we come to the table. At the table, we're reminded of who we are in Christ, of his love for us, of our status in him, our identity in him. We're reminded of our call to be Christ-like and to go out into the world with his good news. And we're reminded that we come to the table not as individuals, but as a family with our brothers and sisters beside us, um, whom we love and are committed to, um, whose burdens are our burdens, um, in whom we find life as we commune with them. Would you pray with me?